The Writer's Journey. It's an ocean of experiences and choices that shape and define its path. From childhood, the feel of the pencil in hand as it touches notebook paper, the scent of books at a school book fair, or the hero or heroine of a story that ignites imagination and adventure can propel the writer to take this journey. The desire to know a character leads a writer to make choices that ultimately connect the writer to the page. Like the stars in the sky that seem to float independent of each other, there is a connectivity that forms a constellation. The same is true of a character's journey, but it's also true of the writer's. What connects the light tells the story. On this episode of The Writer's Constellation, we are speaking with playwright and poet Idris Goodwin. Idris's plays and poems and albums explore the cultural and social narratives of America. He is an award-winning playwright whose first collection of poems and essays, These Are the Breaks, gave way to the term breakbeat poetry. Always blazing new territory, his latest book, Can I Kick It?, remixes our cultural past in order to make sense of the world today. Idris also fosters new talent as a teacher. He joined us to share his journey as well as his advice to writers. Okay, so welcome to the Writer's Constellation, Idris Goodwin. Hello. It's good to have you here today. Yeah, always a pleasure to get to talk about writing. I want to start off by introducing you to some of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar with your work. You cover so many different genres. You're a playwright, you're a poet, you're an essayist, you've got films um, that you've had out, and you just have had one just come out recently. Um, when you think of yourself as a writer, how do you introduce yourself in terms of um, what you identify with most of all those things? Uh, I jokingly call myself uh, uh, a sometimes rapper. Uh, <laughs> that's a, I joke with that, but but that's honestly where I, I that was the first kind of writing I ever really did semi seriously was was writing hip hop songs, and so really for me the link between all those genres, mediums, whatever, um, is that it's there's some live element to them. There's some real time element to them. So you know a film, a play. Um, and even though I do write books, I mean, ultimately, these are things that I'm going to perform or read in front of people, you know, so I like perform. I like the energy of performance. You know, I, I I'm in the black tradition of of like poetry, you know, oral poetry. And, you know, I grew up with black preachers and things like that, you know, so that kind of candor, that kind of uh, very sonic and oral and ritual and chant based um, dialectic is what I'm really excited and, you know, informed by. I've read that you were born in uh, Michigan, yep. and tell me about what it was like there when you were growing up, and what the early influences that you were listening to and reading that were all around you, that when you look back, you go, this was clearly the beginnings of my artistic journey. Yeah, um, so I, I, you know, I grew up in a, a somewhat, you know, semi-traditional um, you know, black households in, in the Midwest, you know, in Detroit, and um, my grandparents, both grandparents on both sides of the family were coming, you know, were part of that great migration of African-Americans leaving the um, Jim Crow South for more opportunity. And, um, you know, so the Baptist church was 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 very prevalent. The Baptist church, you know, because of, of segregation and because of, you know, yes, in, in the north there was 
no Jim Crow, but, you know, there were places that white folk went and there were places that black folk went. And so the church became the sanctuary. So beyond the worship element, it also became the place where, you know, there's no, there's no accident that like all these great black singers got their start in the church because that was just like where you went to hang out, to socialize, to find your voice, to be creative. And so, you know, that was where I, you know, learned about just, just presentation of ideas. You know, I mean, I didn't understand what the pastor was talking about, but just the way he related to the audience and like moved the crowd and curated energy, you know, he was a rock star. Like he was, I, you know, I was drawn to that. I was like, wow, you can just do that with words and inflection and all of that. And then at the same time, you know, all this hip hop music is, is, you know, hip hop culture is just beginning, you know, this is like seventies, eighties. So rap music was a huge huge influence on me, obviously, because same thing. It's like the use of language, the sort of magic trick of just rhyming and, you know, run DMC, like passing words back and forth. And, and then you wanted to say them as a listener, like, you know, I love, you know, you know, I love Whitney Houston and all the great singers, but like, you know, rap, there was something about rap that you just wanted to do that. You know what I mean? You just really wanted to do that in another kind of way. So all of that is like the foundation. And, you know, and in my house, you know, we had Maya Angelou's books. We had Nikki Giovanni's poetry. We had, you know, all of that black arts movement um, stuff, you know, in addition to like James Walden Johnson and um, uh, Lawrence Dunbar and all those, all those OGs. And so, you know, a lot of all, all the various iterations of black expression were just going around you know, at a formative age for me. Were you one that kept a lot of journals and notebooks and you were always jotting down ideas? Absolutely. hundred percent. But I was more so drawing. I mean, I was more so drawing at first. So, so like comics and sequential art was really cool um, for me. And then after a while, yeah, I was like, what if I didn't draw the pictures and I just wrote the words? Um, Your work to me really could be a whole uh, class, a whole workshop in synthesis because you're you're pulling from so many different things your poems uh i was reading can i kick it that's coming out october 2019 mm-hmm. and there's just layers and layers and layers of historical references musical references cultural references uh beautiful description and so when you're sitting down to write uh what kind of drives it for you is it is it you get a single idea is it um is it a topic? Is it something that happened that day? Is it, or is it just the practice of writing and you just kind of start to see where it goes and it all starts to, to just yeah, kind well, of pile, layer on top of each other? Yeah. Well, so with Can I Kick It specifically, um, just kind of working backwards, like with, or, or sort of more recent, um, with Can I Kick It specifically, that book's pretty much happened because I found myself giving too much of my creative energy to like social media, right? So something would happen or I read a headline and I want to like pop off, you know what I mean? And then I started realizing, I'm like, oh wait, you know, I should just write a poem instead. (laughs) You know what I mean? And so, and so can I kick it is very much intended to be a very topical and timely, but I'm like, how quickly can I write these poems and how quickly can they be published and and turned around in the, in the public sphere, in the public space? So that was the challenge. Um, and, and that to me is a very hip hop aesthetic kind of thing, which is like, let me speak on this now. You know what I mean? Like, um, I just read this interview with, uh, or heard this interview with ice cube and he was talking about, uh, he's got this classic record where he, you know, he left the group NWA and, and, um, and then they dissed him 
uh, on an album, and then he came back at them, right? And he's talk he told the story about when he first heard them diss him, and like he immediately went back and he said he wrote his response in like nine. He made that song in ninety minutes, you know, because he was just it was so like right at the forefront of his mind and his and his body. And so I I kind of sometimes write in that same way, where like there's this thing of wanting to speak to the moment. You know what I mean? There's this thing of wanting to be relevant. There's this thing of wanting to, um, you know, and again, it comes out of like, just like freestyling. Like, you know, when I was coming up, I used to just like freestyle with other MCs, with other rappers. And, you know, sometimes when you could be very topical or when you could talk about like what somebody was wearing or what somebody just said, or if somebody sneezed and, you know, like if, like if I'm rapping or whatever and you sneeze and you're in the crowd and you sneeze, like how quickly can I address that? You know, and then people go like, ooh, right? You know what I mean? There's like, there's a freestyle artist named Supernatural. And it's actually a trip, trick that a lot of freestyle artists do where they'll ask the crowd to like hold up things and then they'll they'll like weave it into a rhyme. You know what I mean? Like, you know, it, it's it's like, um, you know, like if I, like, like if I was going to rhyme right now, it's like, um, you know, uh, uh, you know, I, I like to freestyle cause I'm very inclined to skill stack tall. Like I'm all, all them books behind you. You know what I mean? Like, um, you know, um, yeah, like it's, it's that desire to kind of like surprise people as well and be like, oh, wow, this just happened. And this dude is already writing a poem about it. You know what I mean? So the poems in there about Kanye West, about little Nas X, about, um, some of the more current things are, are very intentional to try to like speak to things while they're hot in the air. But then also, and this is another thing that comes from hip hop, which is like from the use of sampling, right? It's to actually show that there's also nothing, that, that new things are actually old things or that new things are actually connected to old things. And so some of the things, one of the things that people um, kind of, um, you know, people who often say like, well, you know, that, that was then, that was in the past, you know, you know, I, I don't believe I don't believe in I don't believe in that concept of past and present. I, I believe things are much more cyclical in that way. And there is no past and there is no present and there is no future. Um, it's just sort of things just kind of moving in flux in that way. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yes. I could go on. Well, <laughs> one of the poems that jumped out at me is right when you opened the book, Back to the Afro Future, 1965. And that opening stanza as I've arrived to Rome, a pre-riot, pre-crack Detroit, where the blocks are filled with fathers. I thought it was just uh, beautiful. And so I just wanted to know what you were thinking when you opened up with that and what you were remembering and um, who, who you're speaking to. Yeah, so, I mean, that's that's my parents. I mean, that's basically their, their, their era. Like, that's when they... Um, um, you know, they were like in high school in 1960, uh, 1965, you know? Um, and yeah. And so, so it's also just like quite literally like night, like back to the future is 1985. So, you know, I wanted to kind of, uh, just kind of stay with that, that, you know, that, that time, whatever. Um, and yeah, just what would it have been like for me to go back to a moment where my parents were like teenagers, you know what I mean? And, and, and I was like, well, for, first things first, like my pops would not be getting bullied. Like I know that for a fact, <laughs> so that was, you know what I mean? And then, and then, and then also the irony of the piece, right. is like, you know, playing around with the mythology of course is like just in the same way that back to the future plays around with this idea that Marty McFly invents rock and roll, um, or invents like what Jimi Hendrix will later go on to invent, which is like shredding, you know, mm -hmm. um, 
that somehow I go back and, and sort of invent hip hop, right? But the only reason I'm able to do that is because I grew up listening to hip hop in presumably, you know, 2015 or whatever, you know, or whatever. So it's just a bit of, of play. And I think it also is it's the, it's the poem that I start with because I think it's also the whole aesthetic or conceptual conceit of the whole book, which is to sort of a play around with pop cultural iconography, B play around with, with this notion of past and present and, and how there is no such thing and to play around with irony. And also three is just to sort of very consciously inject um, race into it and, and sort of talk about the, the seeming, um, you know, just A, that everything is sort of socially political. Every Everything in America, especially, is sociopolitical. So, like, even in a film like Back to the Future, you know, there is that little moment of, of race that shows up where, like, you know, Marty and this band, it's this black band playing this all-white dance, and, like, they have Marty's back. And then, you know, one of the, like, jocks or whatever that's chasing Marty, like, you know, refer like, calls them a racial epithet. You know what I mean? It's, uh, it's also being very aware of that, too, that, like, even in our pop culture... America's narrative and, and pro- problems with race are all, always there if you don't and you don't have to look very far like right and a street filled with fathers is just really says a lot right there sure. to a for a young person reading this um, yeah. what do you want them to 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 get from that I mean you know so you you try to be evocative right um, it's a line it's a line that has like a musical quality to it it's also like, you know, if you begin to look at that era, you know, you look at that, that is also a major moment of, you know, part of the, the issues or, or at least this sort of um, trope of the absent black father, like there is a re- there is a history there that is very insidious that, and so it is not just that, oh, these men are just bad fathers. I mean, there is a whole history of families being broken up, emasculation, you know, emasculation quite literally in some cases, um, you know, issues with, with labor and unions and jobs, but also to, you know, you know, the prison industrial complex. Um, and also, you know, quite, but then also, I mean, if you really dig deep, some of that trope is also a myth. Some of that trope has been greatly over, uh, stoled, Right. And certainly for myself, you know, you know, my, my father is, you know, one of my heroes, you know what I'm saying, was very present. And, you know, my brother, myself, like, you know, I know tons, I, I know tons of, of black men who are fathers and who had great fathers. So some of this is also an attempt, you know, again, it's a line, it's just a line and it's supposed to evoke all the things that it evokes, but, you know, it came out of me as also something that's like, you know, um, you know, I say that to say, let's look at that. Yes, that's what you I know, heard from it. Why, why is this a line that sticks out? Why is this mm-hmm. a line that sticks out a certain kind of way? Yeah, no, I, I totally picked up on that. Your poem, Little Nas X, brings the country together. Mm-hmm. I really like that a lot, and I love the line in that poem. Uh, and I thought you could make a whole poem about this one line. Genre is a satellite inside a pocket. Yeah. I yeah. just thought that was a stunning line. Thank in you. there, and I thought it's interesting because you really cross lots of lots of genres. Yeah. And um, would you elaborate a little bit on that line? Sure. Um, you know, hip hop. I mean, one of the things that I just find so extraordinary about hip hop, particularly particularly like its roots, right? Its roots, its origins, is that it's it comes from DJs, and DJs play. I mean, particularly like the DJs of of hip hop 
the early days of hip hop. I mean, they were playing funk, rock, disco, you know, and they were just after the cool break. They were like, what's a dope break? And so hip hop is built out of every other kind of music, you know what I mean? And so it's no surprise that, you know, but why, and, and, and why, but also this question of like, why do we have genres? Like we have genres for the purposes of marketing, for the purposes of commercialism, et cetera, et cetera. But if you looked at the roots of any kind of music, there was all, it, it, it just doesn't work that way. There's crossover, there's, there's blending, people's musical tastes are diverse. People don't just listen to one kind, you know? So it's just, again, to, to, to try to take what is mundane or, or, or seemingly normal and make it seem abnormal and, and make folk want to take another look at that. Like, why do we, why do we use the language we use? What, what is a genre even? Right. Um, and then also to just to kind of like, you know, I was really, I think like a lot of people were this whole thing of, of you know, it's funny, it's, it's funny, the irony of this is like, I hadn't even heard of Lil Nas X or this song mm-hmm. until there was, it was in the news, like country world shuns Lil Nas X. And I'm like, y'all just made this kid fan, you know what I mean? And y'all are also just making yourself look, look whack. And also it's like any, any time, I think anytime, any kind of music genre starts getting into that conversation about what is and what isn't for me, that genre then becomes irrelevant in my opinion. In my opinion, it then becomes about preservation at that point. Like anytime you're like, oh, this isn't this and this isn't that, then I'm like, okay, it's 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 time for you to go be in a museum somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I thought that, that was a that was a great poem. Um switching gears a little bit here, I wanted to uh talk about publication a little bit. Sure. Um, looking uh back on your books and plays and oh gosh, so many things you have out there. But uh Let's just maybe focus on pub, on pub, publishing uh, for writers that are uh, listening. Uh, what are some tips that you uh, you would want to share with with aspiring writers about about publication? Yeah, you know, I mean, I'll be honest with you. Like, I, I have a really weird relationship with that because, um, you know, ultimately I'm coming from a space of of performance of you know I. For me, a long time, it was all about getting the production for playwriting. And then for being a poet, it was like, you know, I also come from hip hop music. So it was about, you know, it's about albums, recordings, videos and performances. You know, um, I think initially my my interest, my initially, I'll be honest, I'm like I, my initial interest with even trying to get like a book on like a, a publisher, quote unquote, uh, was my desire to teach. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, okay, they want you to have a book so you can teach, right? And, you know, in that, but but I got my first book contract, which was for these other breaks. I actually got it because of an album. I made an album called Breakbeat Poems. And um, Derek Brown, who ran, um, who runs Write Bloody Books, um, you know, his, his whole model is based more so around poets touring. And it was like, your book is like your album, essentially. But as a poet, you need to tour a lot. Um, and so for him, him, he was like, oh, this guy writes good lyrics and he's, and, he, and he's, you know, got an independent mindset. And so, yo, have you ever thought of, and at that point I started writing what I was calling performance essays, where it was like things I was actually doing for the radio. Um, and so some of those essays that are in these other breaks were originally things that I was intending to like perform, you know? And so then I just, you know, it, it, it then became this, this, this book and we tested the model of me, you know, sort of performing and and that's where my focus was um 
and I learned a lot. Flash forward, uh, my good buddy Kevin Koval starts, uh, you know, does the Breakbeat Poets Anthology on Haymarket Books. It goes really well. Um, and again, the breakbeat poetry thing was something he and I have been talking about for a long time because we were constantly trying to define ourselves and what what we do. Um, and so then he begins this imprint, this breakbeat poets imprint on Haymarket Books. And, you know, again, like I said, I, I had started writing all these like what I call pop off poems, which was like, you know, I'm not going to just write like 12 tweets. I'm actually <laughs> that's actually a piece. Right. So I started amassing these and I was like, yo, I actually think this is a book. You know what I'm saying? So um, I actually didn't I actually didn't think, believe it or not, I didn't think it was something that I, I actually didn't even initially go to Kevin with it. I actually started I was kind of floating it by a couple other uh, presses, like smaller presses that I knew. Um, and then he and I were hanging out and I started telling him about it. He's like, well, yo, man, why don't you do it, you know, through us? You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, yeah, why don't I do you know, that kind of thing? So the point of this whole story is to say that, you know, the, the the I believe it's all through relationships. I think also you never know. Like I got my first deal, book deal because of an album, you know, and I got my second book contract because of a, a relationship. And so for me, it's more just about constantly generating your material and putting your material out and, and leveraging the resources that you have. So. There's that thing about submissions, which I, I consciously stopped doing submissions at a certain point in my life, for the most part, blanket submissions and focus instead on my relationships and like, where are the conferences or, or just like, who are the writers in my community? You know, where are they? You know what I'm saying? Like, how do I, how do I just expand my network, but through my writing, you know? Um, but for me, it was like, focus, focus on the writing itself. And, and and try to like explore specific avenues and specific platforms for the work, like and, and trying to think about like who's my audience for this work and how do I get that work to that audience? You know what I mean? And so it's it's just it's not being so macro with it and just being more uh, micro. But I think again, end of the day, it's just about it's about the work and about trusting the work. But then also, you know, making it incumbent upon yourself to get the work out, however you can. And big, big, medium, small, you know, it don't matter. And you never know. You never know the route it's going to take. You right, never know. I'm focusing on books because I'm holding books in my sure. hand. But really, uh, your plays, uh, I've read an article, I think your first play, you just maybe rented a small venue and it was yeah, just there was a, a few people. Yeah, it was a theater company. Uh, it's a theater company in Chicago called um, Rhinoceros Theater Branch. No. Curious, curious theater branch, and they do the Rhinoceros Theater Festival every year, and they're essentially like a, a, what the, what's called a fringe theater, like a like a like a sort of a DIY, super independent, non-subscriber base theater, and they do this um, annual festival, and it just focuses on more avant-garde, more um, non-traditional, non-like sort of regional theater, subscriber-based theater, and the Rhinoceros Theater Festival would always be in this venue, this like small venue in the back of a coffee shop. And that's where my first play went up. Um, yeah. yeah. And so, and so I guess my point is like, I, I also, I'm just going to say like, I also don't believe in 2019 with all of these platforms we have, you know, the book, the, the traditional pub, like what does it mean to be published? Right? Like a physical book, is one platform, but there are so many other platforms and everyone is so versed in so many different 
things. And, and for writers, it's like, why are you, I, I would question why any writer would want to write one thing or do something in one kind of way. Even you, like you're, you have a podcast. Yeah. Like, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. You have to get your voice out there in whatever way, you know, and I don't mean doing a million things, but I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you got to spread it out a little bit. The game has changed. And so, you know, um, but I, and I also just say one last thing, which is like, you know, grad school, grad school is a thing, you know, like, um, grad school is a great way to, to, to kind of go to the front of the queue a little bit. You know what I mean? Um, uh, you know, you meet people there, that's, that's where publishers have their eye on. And, but if you also think about that, it is, what is that ultimately, right? That's also a, a, a networking thing. Like you putting yourself, putting yourself around other writers or in a context where people are going to be looking for writers, you know? So that, that's kind of my, my larger point here is just like, you know, um, you know, setting yourself up, like setting yourself up to be seen, to be noticed, to getting your, you know, cause end of the day, it's like, there's so much content out here right now, you know? Um, and because of that human relationships become more important because now it's like, I know you. And so now I'm really going to read what you have because I, I know you, you know, that kind of thing. I was just going to add, I'm talking to you today because of grad school. I, uh, heard uh ashley jones came and spoke mm -hmm. to my program and i followed ashley jones on social media ashley jones liked something by jose guadalupe Oliveras, uh -huh. and he wrote a poem uh called one poem mm -hmm. and uh dedicated it to you and then i found you and i found your work so yeah I mean, that's, it's interesting it. how that, yeah, how that works. I didn't want to skip over breakbeat poetry though, because sure. you were yeah. credited with coining the term breakbeat poetry. And mm -hmm. so can you just elaborate a little bit on what that, yeah. what that means now? And, and sure. I mean, where you see it going? yeah, I mean, so, you know, the breakbeats are something that the, the originators of hip hop coined and used, you know, as the foundation. So just the, the, the hip hop drum beat, the iconic hip hop drum beat comes from uh, what they call the break beats. And they, those were just the parts on these records that these DJs would use to let MCs rhyme and let, you know, poppers pop and breakers break. Uh, but for so many of us, we were drawn to the pen because of hip hop music, because of hip hop's prominence of lyrics. And because of also the 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 way in which an MC is so much, it's so much about your personality and your persona and your voice and your character. Um, it became it, it became a great tool for many of us to find ourselves and find our own voices. Um, and for many of us, it also led us to have a deeper appreciation for the written word, right? So many of us found poets like Langston Hughes and and Gwendolyn Brooks and. Amiri Baraka and, and Nikki Giovanni um, because of, or, or at least took a closer look at those people because of the lineage that the rappers of hip hop have to the, the lineage of black and African-American letters, you know what I'm saying? So um, it just sounded like it fit us, you know, cause we were like, we were often so misunderstood where they were like, oh, you guys are like, you, people were calling us slam poets. And it's like, well, no, like the slam is just one more platform for poets, but what we do, this tradition of oral poetry is ancient, yo, and particularly for, you know, black communities and marginalized communities, communities of color, like poetry 
is also very deep. It's 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 a healing mechanism, and it's also like a way that we it's political. It's the way we organize, you know. So to to trivialize it by just saying oh it's slam poetry, I've competed in one slam my whole life. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I don't I don't do that. You know what I'm saying? I respect it, but that's just one of many different platforms. You know, um, so I think I felt we felt like it was very important for us to define ourselves, but then also take it a step further and create space for other people, uh, especially younger people who were interested in in defining themselves or having some shoulders to stand on or having some comrades or feeling like, yo, the kind of poetry I like, it's okay that I want to rhyme. It's okay that I want to talk about what I want to talk about. It's okay if I want to declare my my blackness, my you know, queerness, my, you know, disabledness, my uh, whatever it is, you know, um, in my poetry. I don't have to, like, write like Robert Frost. I don't have to write, like, the poetry that I read in school. I can rap, you know, I can poet or rap or rap or poet, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, some of your your work, and I'm, I'm switching gears here to plays and uh, films hashtag matters comes to mind this is modern art they jump right in and uh, touch on current current issues uh, cultural issues social issues and some sometimes you've been met with controversy and so when you run up against that how do you deal with that and what do you say to other writers when they might be a little shy about jumping in there and and facing controversy? I mean, for me, you know, what's, you know, we're seeing it, you know, as we talk to each other, um, you know, somebody from the FBI is testifying about whether or not our president, you know, colluded and obstructed justice. So to me, that is the only thing that should be controversial. You know what I mean? That, that like a play about graffiti writers in 2018, you know, the play came out like what, 2015, like, you know, that, that to me, it's like, I don't have anything to say because I'm like, if you're appalled by that, you and I live in the world different. There's nothing appalling to me about that. What's appalling to me is the conditions, the conditions that, you know, create, um, poverty that create or exacerbate, um, criminality, you know, um, you know, there, there are things that I find truly obscene and troubling that I reserve my outrage for. You know, we got Nazis running around when the Nazis are back. You know, hate is on the rise. You know, school systems a joke, like all these things. So it's like I don't I, I can't really entertain or take you very seriously if you're like freaking out be, that we decided to give an hour on stage to tell the, to tell the story of uh, graffiti uh, artists. Yeah, graffiti artists doing something really bold. You know what I mean? It was a story worth telling, period. Like, nobody got mad at the news outlets for reporting on it, right? So why are you getting mad at us? So I just I just kind of rolled my eyes at that whole situation. And if you see now, like, the play is continuing to have a life. Some of those, you know, you know, I, I, just, I just felt like it was just kind of silly. Um, but, you know, um, and then, you know, and, and again, like, I don't, I don't, because I don't necessarily come at these things, you know, and also like, listen, let me back up. Sorry. There's just so many things I want to say in terms of things involving like race or racial conversation. Like, you know, I am a student of history and I also have ancestral ancestral, um, trauma in my DNA. So like no one, there's nothing that you can, that, that that's not an argument. You know what I'm saying? Like 
there's nothing to argue. Like we have, it's, it's real. Like we have a, a really horrific racial history. We have current um, lamentable racial discourse and divide. And I'm choosing to do something. I'm choosing to use this format that was designed to help people have conversation, to um, promote empathy and understanding. And that's what I'm trying to do, period. You know what I'm saying? And, and if people don't want to get with that, okay. You know what I'm saying? Like Jay-Z's got that line. If you don't like my lyrics, you can press fast forward. Like, you don't have to, you know, I don't care. Like, just don't come. I don't know. Um, if you, looking at your whole journey, um, we call it the writer's constellation because we're looking at your, your whole journey. When yeah. you, and you're still young on your journey, so it's, you, you have so much more that you're going to do also. But when you, uh, at this point right now where you are, and you, you look at turning points, projects you said yes to, projects you said no to, uh, the, deci- the decision to write your first play maybe, what are a few key moments that you look at that you really feel have defined you, who you are today? Like these things had to happen. Had I have not done X, Y, or Z, I wouldn't be here right now. Wow, that's a great question. Um, you know, there was a point where there was a major turning point where, um, you know, I can't, like I said, I came up in Chicago in this very DIY kind of fringe community. And, you know, I was writing these plays, but I wasn't really telling my story. I was just kind of like doing, you know, writing for certain actors or writing to trying to write certain types of things. And there was a pivotal moment where I chose to kind of write something that was sort of more autobiographical for the stage of the play called How We Got On which was just, you know, my love letter to, you know, it was a coming of age story about, you know, 1988 when hip hop came on uh, cable on your own TV raps. And, and that play kind of changed, changed things for me and got me in in a different lane and a different sphere of my playwriting career. And it's, it's part of why I'm sitting where I'm sitting now. I'm um, now the artistic director of a theater in, in Louisville. Um, So that one was a big one. Um, I think that um, every time I've chosen the more difficult thing, um, to the project that scared me a little bit, the project that took four years to write, the project that required a lot of research, the project that kind of made no sense. I mean, you know, This Is Modern Art was a very difficult play to write because it was like based on these interviews and there was this whole question of like legality and what were, you know what I mean? And uh, I was co-writing with another writer and you know, and then the the, contra- the so-called controversy happened, like, you know, so it's also this thing of just like not being, you know, knowing that the more seemingly difficult it is, it probably means there will be a greater, <laughs> uh, it will have a, a greater impact. Can you talk a little bit about your, your writing uh, habits? Are you somebody that you make a point to write every single day? Do you kind of oh, work in tell- inspiration? No, I'm not one of those people. I wish I was one of those people. Um, you know, it changes. Uh, I'm very deadline oriented, very deadline oriented. Um, I'm big on revision. So I don't, I don't waste a lot of time or I I jam out that first draft. It's just very like, you gotta, you know, that first draft is like, you gotta just trust yourself and just do it. Like we kind of have nothing to talk about until you just make that for, you know, it's important. And it's also an important I think psychological thing that happens where you 
you birth it, it happens. It's, it's, it's there beginning, middle, end, good, bad, or ugly. And it's important to know that, yeah, you did that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like you've got it done. It's done now. And I mean, it's not done, but it exists now. And now you have, you got to just hotten it up and make it better. So I'm real big on that. I don't, I don't, I don't take too long on the, I try to bang out that first draft and then I take a lot of time to revise. Um, revise. I'm a big reviser. You work with a lot of up and coming writers. Uh, you probably look at a lot of uh, new material, stuff that people are workshopping. What is what is something that you're seeing that you would tell writers to 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 try to change or work on? Oh wow. Um, while I do think, while I do appreciate, obviously, and I'm a writer that's big on relevancy, and you know. Like, let's let's talk about, you know, what are people talking about? What are people thinking about? And how does that connect to, you know, the evolution of that particular subject? Right. What is the history of that subject and how do we connect the roots of it with the current branches? Right. Um, But I also think that there is room for just more imagination and just very old school, like character work and and you know sometimes i feel like because we're in this moment of issue and opinion and clickbait and headline i feel like we're losing a little bit of just the imagination and just great characters and great relate i mean this is why i think everyone loves stranger things so much and myself included is i think they do a really great job of balancing a the meta quality of it like they know that they're making a show for netflix that's being watched by a lot of by a demographic of people that grew up in a certain time period and will love all the nostalgia um but it's also end of the day just like just a story about a bunch of kids running around running from aliens and bad guys and stuff you know i i just think some of that old school storytelling some of those old school storytelling um things are are not like don't forget those parts like just end of the day like we want good characters we want a a storyline we can follow and that we root for and that we care about a point of view and a voice and a perspective that it that that we can follow you know does that make sense oh yeah no i think it totally does make sense i think i've read uh drafts of things where i thought they're maybe trying too hard to seem so current, so relevant, and they're injecting lots of technology and lots of uh, current headlines and that kind of stuff and uh, all these references, but but they may not be fleshing out the evolution of the character. And right. I don't know who this character really is. I don't know what the character yearns for. Um, and I'm not sure what trouble that you can throw at the character to uh, that will reveal who they are if we're not um, fleshing that character out. So we can't see how they're going to react if we um, aren't spending time getting to know who they are. And we're caught up more with trying to maybe seem um, in the know and and up on topics and stuff. So, yeah, I see that too. Yeah, and I think also too because we're also in this moment of um, persona, you know, it's just like, it's not enough to just like writers now have to become like brands, you know what I'm saying? And that's, I struggle with that a lot. Cause even my, cause listen, even though I, perf- I perform quote unquote, I only do that just so people can hear my writing. You know what I'm saying? I was, I, I come up in an era where like nobody was trying to hear 
my rapping poems or like, you know, my references and all my very black stuff. Like, so I had to do it. I had to get myself out there with it, but I don't perform out of some need to get seen. I just want to hear people hear my writing. You know what I'm saying? So, but I, you know, but I'm also in the, you know, I'm, I understand there's a business element to it too. And like, I know that, you know, part of me is like, yeah, you should be on Instagram, talking to the camera, you know, all this kind of stuff. And I'm like, I don't want, to, I'm not that interesting, honestly, like in that kind of way, you know what I'm saying? And so that, that is also something that's lamentable a little bit. It's like, I feel like younger writers or newer writers are, are trying to straddle that line where they're like, this is my life and this is me and this is who I am. And also here's what I write. And I'm like, okay, but you don't want to like overshadow what you write. Like, if it's about what you write, then make it about what you write. You know what I'm Not saying? pictures of your computer and keyboard on Instagram over and over yeah. and over again. Because all that stuff takes time and effort and editing and... Exactly. Coming exactly. up with a caption. I mean, all that... Uh, it is... Actually, it can be a great little practice in writing short, short stuff. But right. it can also, if it drains you and you're not giving your creative energy to your fiction or your poetry or your plays, yeah. then all of that stuff really... Yeah, it doesn't matter. Yeah, and it's it's not just for new. I mean, I struggle. I mean, I really struggle with it, you know, because I, I, you know, especially with like my plays, because plays are so um, such an odd thing. And just the, you know, the culture of people who see plays are very, it's very specific and, and somewhat narrow. I, I, you know, I, I use social media very deliberately to kind of let people know, hey, my plays are happening everywhere. Like they might be in your city and you know, or even just more so like my plays are a living thing. Like they're not just sitting on my shit, you know, cause it's, it's such a weird, different culture and world. So I use it very specifically for that purpose, you know? Um, and so I have to engage, you know, I've been wanting to get off Facebook for the longest time, but it's like, I can't, like I need, I have to use it, you know, let people know where my work is and where they can engage with my work and blah, 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 blah. Uh, but you know, I, I desperately would love, um, to just have, you know, a sort of more consistent audience that just knows to check for me and then I don't have to be. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah. I was going to mention to our audience that uh, hashtag matters is online. Yeah. You can Google it. And I, you, there's a great uh, YouTube video of you reciting say my name, which is a poem of yours that I really, really love. And yeah. I, um, I, I love that poem and I love how you end that poem yeah. and writing a really good ending is hard. Uh, for people who have not heard the poem, you, you talk about your name and yeah. how you got your name and people's reaction to your name throughout your whole life. And then at the very end of the poem, what do you say? I said, um, I call myself Idris, like my mama says it, but who knows? If she, oh, wait, I'm sorry. I'm messing it up. I think it's, it's funny. It's one of these things that I say differently sometimes. Um, yeah. It's, it's a, uh, but she's probably not saying it right. That's what right, it is. Right, yeah. right, right. It's like my mama says it, but she's probably not saying it right. I love that line. I love that. Line. Sometimes I say it, but who knows if she's saying it right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, I love that line. And so uh, that's that's something that people if, if want to hear you, they could hear hear you on um, on YouTube. But yeah, it is hard to kind of catch a play if it's not in your in your city or yeah. um, you're not, you're not there to see it, but um, you're right. I'm sorry. You're in Florida. I'm in Orlando. Yes. In Orlando. Yes. Yeah, wow. Wild. My parents live in Orlando. Um, uh, and they are always like, 
yo, when are you gonna bring something down to Florida? You know what I mean? And so yeah, so Florida, Florida has yet to. Uh, I do very well in Boston. I do a lot of stuff in like I'm doing more things in Atlanta. You know, Northern Cali. You gotta come to Florida. I would listen. I would love to have, but I need a theater company in Florida to rock with me. That's yeah. that's the thing. I don't really have like a traveling. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are just certain areas where it's just like Oregon. Surprisingly, does a lot of my plays. Um, so yeah, but so Florida, if you're listening, I'm ready. Yes, absolutely. So you've got the book that comes out in October of 2019. Yeah. You yep. have a short play that's out. Uh yeah. You talking about the, you talking about the film? I mean, I'm sorry, short film. Yeah, yeah, so it's called um, Black Flag, and it's actually, uh, so Matter, Black Flag, and then I have another play called American Prom, which is sort of like a trilogy of plays about, uh, that have like young protagonists, so like, um, you know, high school and college age characters, more in this moment, sort of navigating these 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 issues of race that still exist, um, even in our in our moment. And so Black Flag is, is about um, two, young women, their first day of college, they've been keeping up all summer because they're going to share a dorm. And as they're unpacking, um, one of the girls pulls a a Confederate flag out of her bag and hangs it up on the wall, sort of unconsciously like, oh, yeah, this is just this is like just this cute rebel. You know how that, you know, the flag, you know, and her black roommate is like kind of you see her making the choice whether to say something or not say something. And she chooses not to say something directly to her roommate, but it clearly bothers her. And there's a, but the reason she doesn't want to say it is because she's like, cause she knows like the moment that she's in, if I, if I become the angry black girl who says something to her white roommate that I'm, I'm on social media now, like I'm now politicized. And so she's consciously not engaging with it. Her justification being it's her side of the room. She can do what she wants on her side of the room. And then, of course, ultimately, you know, eventually these things explode, you know what I mean? And they're forced to figure out how do we share this enclosed space. Uh, and, yeah, so that's, I won't say too much, but that's what the short film is about. Can, I, if, if, can our listeners stream it somewhere? Nah, uh, they will be able to. Right now it's on my, there's a trailer. It's, it's, it's doing the festivals right now. And uh, it's in the National Black um, Theater and Film Festival in North Carolina this month. And then also it, it won the um, it was one runner up in the um, AT&T has this uh, film uh, festival competition called Sharp. And so it won the runner up there. And so we, we might be doing a screening. I might be doing a screening here in Louisville. We might be a screening in L.A., which is where uh, my co-producers live. Um, but, yeah, at some point it'll be widely available uh, online, streamable. Um, the question is just on which on which platform, blah, 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 blah. But there will be links on my site. I will certainly make make it known. Can you folks. say your site for our listeners? Yeah, it's just www.idrisgoodwin.com. That's I-D-R-I-S goodwin.com so before i let you go uh just any words of advice to young writers that are that are listening to you right now um you know i think now more than ever i mean i struggle with this there's just so much distraction and it's it's always been hard i think for writers to carve out space for themselves and i think we're in this moment now where we think that you know, where we can mistake our point of view or our, our, our expressing ourselves, we can mistake that for 
output, creative output. And it's not, you yeah. know what I mean? The craft of writing remains the same. You know, it doesn't matter what technology or what's available. The, 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 the writer writing with a quill and ink is no different than the writer now on a laptop. We're still struggling with the same thing. How do I arrange these words in a way that's going to blow people's mind and engage them and speak to something really primal and real? And, you know, there's just a lot of distraction about, you know, becoming a brand and becoming, you know, famous and all this kind of stuff is poison for a writer. I mean, yes, yes, of course, you should always be very cognizant of, okay, like you're, you're working really hard on this writing. There is a conversation to be had about how it gets out into the, what was the best way to get it out in the world, but don't worry, you know, but that's later just right now. Like just, just gift yourself, gift yourself with the time and the headspace and the solace to write. And, and just know that it takes time. It takes way more time than anybody realizes. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just takes time. So that's it. Just just gift yourself that time and and finish it. Get to the other side. You got to finish, you know. So that's it. That's excellent advice. Thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. And uh, I look forward to the many, many more projects in your future that I know are, are yet to come. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Writer's Constellation. Written, produced, and hosted by Francis Susanna Neville. Audio producer, Emmanuel Elliott. The Writer's Constellation theme music is composed by Isaac Barzo. All show notes and links mentioned in this episode can be found on our Facebook page. We are the Writer's Constellation on all platforms. Thank you for listening, and remember, what connects the light tells the story.